Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. I'm going to knock it over to my co-hosts, Kate and David, in a moment. But before we do, you know, we're going to talk about this Ukraine stuff again for a lot of this episode, because even, even since... I guess the uh, eight days since the last episode, like all sorts of crazy stuff has happened. But for myself, you know, just I, I, I was, we'll get into this in our, in our conversation, but just for me, last few, like last two or three days, I, I've sort of had, I wouldn't say writer's block, but I've had a hard time knowing where to, to grab onto this because so many different parts of this have, have sort of, um, come into view or or become more clear and in some ways the sort of the 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 central thing the the sort of the extortion plot it's still now i think the biggest thing because it was the president of the united states actually doing it in his own voice under his direction everything 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 you know he admits it you know but like it's it's not the only like really bad thing at this point so all right i give my little speech I'll kick it over to you guys. All right. What are we talking about? Well, first, maybe let's take care of a little bit of business before right. we get too far. We got it. This is, this is, you know, we need, we need to ask them to get some winter grady because this is like kind of outdoorsman <laughs> thing. <laughs> For now. the year, the year rounders, that's what they call cold it, brew aficionados yeah, during even, the all like, 12 why, why months. Would you, why would you like disgrace yourself by <laughs> drinking hot, hot coffee, even if it's, even if it's cold anyway. All right. So breaking news from the cold brew world, Grady's cold brew is now shipping all of its liquid products nationwide. Now everyone has access to all of the products that made Grady's famous 32 ounce bottles of New Orleans concentrate, 42 serving bag in a box, and even single serve bottles. Drink it straight, mix in your favorite milk, or spike it for a caffeinated cocktail. Grady's is brewed and bottled daily at their brewery in the Bronx, so bottle ship cold for peak freshness. If you're ready to give it a swirl, get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM, and you can get some, uh, you can get a, a discount on some great coffee. Yeah, good idea. Uh, Kate, how are you doing? Good. Uh, we had the debate last night, right. so some of us were up late and uh, got to sleep in a little bit. Honestly, exactly. <laughs> it was worth it. <laughs> yeah. And joining us today is Josh Kavensky. How are you, Josh? I'm good. How are you? Good. Nice to see you. Yeah. So I wanted to talk the House House Democrats and I feel like you keep you keep making this Ukraine thing move forward. So like you're strong arming <laughs> into our show. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's really what yeah. it's all about. Basically, yeah. like we basically have seat. you on. Yeah. We basically have you on standby. So yeah. until okay. further notice. Yeah. Um, so the House Democrats impeachment inquiry has been ramping up. A lot of people, a lot of witnesses have been called in, giving some kind of behind closed doors testimony on Trump's pressure campaign against Ukraine and just sort of what was going on around that. There's been some drama. Gordon Sondland, the U.S. ambassador to the EU, was scheduled to testify. Was that just last week? And then he you know, was basically canceled at the last minute. He's supposed to come in Thursday. Was it last Thursday when he was supposed to, or was it Monday? It was, it was uh, Sondland was supposed to testify on Tuesday. Okay. Yeah. So we've had Fiona Hill, the National Security Council's top Russia aide. She was uh, appearing before the House committees on Monday, I believe, um, which was sort of a pseudo holiday here in the U.S. And um, we've had former Ambassador Yovanovitch. She was appeared last week. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. So, Josh, maybe you can start. Josh K can start by just sort of what have been some of the biggest, I don't know, revelations from these testimonies that have that have come out in your mind. I mean, these are not public events, so we're we're relying on press reports and what members right. of Congress and other aides and so on are are telling reporters after the fact. But give us a sense of kind of the last week or so, what we've some of the things we've been hearing. Yeah, I mean I think you know, the direction of the investigation has shifted 
very much towards the State Department at the current moment. I mean, that's what all, like, all the testimony has been centered on. And what that's been about has been basically attempts to politicize the State Department and also, you know, shunting uh, career officials in favor of like Rudy Giuliani. Um, but I mean, some of the key things that came out include, you know, the, the testimony of the former ambassador to Ukraine, Marie Ivanovich, who said that she was told in, I think, late April of 2019 that she had to catch the next flight back to Washington um, from Kiev. She did. And upon arrival, she was told that she had been ousted, she'd been removed, and that um, she was told by a, dep- by, I think it was an assistant secretary of state, that uh, she was removed after a concerted campaign. I didn't, re- I didn't yeah. realize she was only told. Like she's just hey, you got to come back for some briefings, kind of thing. It's kind and of like was, yeah. was told in so it was here. Yeah, and, and, and here's the thing: is I didn't that realize she, that. And so she had had her tour extended in March. So she had for they, they'd asked her to stay for another year beyond what was originally planned. And then at the end of April, she wakes up and gets an email saying, "Catch the next flight to Washington." It's like in the movies, like get on the next flight back yeah. to DC. Okay, that's. I mean, it doesn't dramatically change the story, but it's a little. I thought that that, that they said you're out and like don't dawdle like get back to the u.s right now so you that is a little more like drama it is yeah it is more dramatic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and yeah. so i mean her testimony i mean went into that but it she kind of it seems took a more broad kind of a broader attack just saying like this is you know a broader issue with the state department the fact that you know it's being politicized and uh it's reducing the quality of like career staff other testimonies come out i think that probably the biggest one was fiona hill on monday um, so just to catch listeners up, she was long, I mean, she's basically a, a Russia hand. She's been, she's very well respected. She wrote a book about Vladimir Putin that's like very well regarded. Uh, so when she was originally brought into the White House, like a couple of years ago, she was, I mean, that was seen as a positive thing. I mean, she, somebody with experience. Uh, yeah. Isn't she basically kind of, not the neocon world, but definitely the Russia hawk. Hawkish, yeah. Sort yeah. of like, I don't know if she's Republican or not, but, you know, coming out of... You have a lot of like the never Trump people or kind of people right. from that world. So that was my impression, at least. Yeah. And that, that's correct. And I think she was like she was sort of like associated with Bolton in some ways. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just so people have an understanding of who she is. Uh, and so her testimony covered a lot of a lot, many different topics. I think one thing that emerged just before we started recording was that uh, she called Gordon Sondland, the U ambassador, national security threat. Uh, because he was so inept and inexperienced, and his ineptitude encompassed activities like uh, giving the cell phone numbers of top U.S. officials to foreign diplomats and just telling foreign <laughs> officials they could just sort of stop by the White House whenever they pleased, which apparently included one situation where a bunch of Romanian officials just like showed up at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue without like any invitation and just tried to like walk in. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I was really struck when I saw that I was I was out when I saw that headline i don't know if i saw it in slack or or in in another news headline but it's a bit rich in this administration like i'm sure he is that inept sure but like look who the president is i mean it's 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 not like anybody else is in a different category right being unqualified doesn't disqualify you for a trump job basically yeah i mean off the top of my head i mean those are the big things just also that i mean uh, hill also said that um yeah, that John Bolton was opposed to the pressure campaign. That's also how he got this great quote, uh, I think on Monday, saying that what you know Sondland and Mick Mulvaney were cooking up was a drug deal. Right, um, right. Yeah. Well, it definitely seemed like it seems like that has also raised questions about how much of the rush of this stuff is is Bolton, who was obviously who was fired on September 10th, like right as this stuff was. I think it was. Yeah. Was it like, I think it was September, it was either September 10th or the 11th when Adam Schiff wrote that letter to the people, you know, the uh, uh, DNI basically saying, you have to give that to us. So it's like right there. And that was, being the whistleblower complaint. Yes. And he yeah. was, you know, he went to Kiev at the end of August, right as this stuff was popping internally. I and mean, he went, he went there, I want to say it was 23rd, 24th of August. And just so, I mean, listeners have a sense of the timing. One week later was when... Ukrainian president of Vladimir Zelensky met with Mike Pence in Warsaw, and these demands were reiterated, supposedly. Wait, wait, so, so okay, so in late August, Bolton was in Kiev? Yeah, he went to Kiev and then Belarus, yeah. And we don't really have much of a sense of what came out of that or what he there, did? So at the time, there was reporting about, I mean, just standard national security stuff, but uh, there hasn't been follow-up on like whether or not this was raised, yeah. Interesting, interesting. 
And so tomorrow we have Gordon Sondland coming back to the Hill. I mean, just a question for anyone in the group, any bombshells we're expecting there, anything you're kind of on the lookout? One of the things that came out last week when they, uh, when Sondland didn't, when he failed to appear was Adam Schiff came out and gave this impromptu press conference. And what he said was that uh, Gordon Sondland was using a personal, a personal device and like WhatsApp and also just his private email address to communicate uh, what might be relevant information. So, I mean, whatever documents he ends up providing relating to that, whatever communications he provides, could be really, really interesting. Any, I thought he, I thought that his lawyer said, like, we'll come up and testify, but any documents is sort of the State Department's call. So so basically that he's not going to bring doc- or But right, maybe I misunderstood Sh- that. Didn't Schiff say something that the State Department is withholding those communications or blocking the House yeah. Intelligence So I guess it, it, it'll be a separate process in terms of getting those documents. But... You know, there's also his recollection of what yeah. happened. Right, no, yeah, the, the phone call with Trump is the big... Uh, but hasn't he yeah. kind of painted himself thus far to be pretty solidly on the Trump ticket by at least his conversations and the text messages? And... Oh, d- definitely. I thought you meant right. like in the leaks over the last week or so. No, I yeah. just mean f- from the scant amount of information we know about him so far, he seems to be hitching his wagon to Trump. Right. So, I mean, are we expecting him to toss him under the bus? It's it's a good question. I mean, right. So just to, from my recollection recollection of the text, I mean, this was, was with Kurt Volker, the um, special envoy to Ukraine, right? Yeah. And mm-hmm. Gordon Sondland was in the mix. They were trying to get... And that Taylor guy. And Bill, Bill Taylor. Acting ambassador, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bill Taylor was raising alarms about it. But yeah, Gordon Sondland was on these text messages trying to get a sort of coordinated statement from the government of Ukraine that we're going to open these investigations. And that's in exchange for like a White House meeting and all this and that. One thing I wonder is that, you know, maybe in the week or so since he was supposed to be there, I don't know, is there, is he freaked out about some legal ramifications and that maybe changes his tenor and kind of forthrightness? The thing that has struck me is that it, like basically everyone who's testified has not just pointed the finger, but like everything they have said sort of sets him up like kind of like, yep, Gordon did this and Gordon did that. And John, even John Bolton said, what the fuck is wrong with Gordon? <laughs> you know, so it's like everybody has like put him in a highly pressured position. And um, it, I mean, the mix of the texts, just what we saw there, the fact that he's the one talking directly with Trump. Right. And kind of all of the leaks of the various testimony all make it seem not that he's like just on Trump's team. He's like, Trump has like, you know, you're my guy. You are the one who's going to carry this ball. Um, and so, you know, I don't know what he can do. I mean, he, he, he basically, it seems like they've telegraphed that he's going to try to kind of thread the needle, you know, kind of like Trump told me to say that and it might be true but I'm not saying it's true just that Trump told me to say it right just following yeah. orders kind of thing it's also worth keeping in mind that the way Sondland even got into this was by contributing a huge amount of money to Trump's inaugural, inaugural committee <laughs> so I mean it's like he kind of bought his way into this like situation and just to be fair uh, that's not it I mean it's not a totally out of the out of, out of like, the ordinary yeah. situation for someone who right. supports the campaign to get a that's plush not, ambassadorship kind yeah of that, that, that's not what's new right I yeah mean, I mean yeah. it's 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 a little it's sort of like marginally more crass than usual, just kind of like writing one check to the inaugural. <laughs> but certain, I mean, it is entirely the norm, unfortunately, for all parties, all presidents, big fundraisers often get appointed, you know, get ambassadorship. So right. that is not, that is not new. But, um, you know, there's that, it's very interesting. If you go back to the texts, there's one of the exchanges with, I can't remember if it was Volcker or Taylor, where the other guy, Volker or Taylor says something like, you know, I, I, I hope you're right. that This is the right idea or the right thing to do. And Solomon responds like, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I'm saying it's where we are. <laughs> right. It is what it is. Right. So it's kind of it's it's a I think he's in a very bad, very bad position on a number of fronts. And the other issue for him is he's he has a consumer facing brand. So it's not just a matter of like legal jeopardy. It's a matter of he's got a hotel chain. So like if he if he becomes like, you know, the sort of the Trump sycophant, that's a problem right. for him in business terms. He hired a pretty uh, well-known DC lawyer, didn't he, Bob Luskin? 
Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> Tell us about yeah. about him. Well, okay, so so years and years ago, like fifteen years ago, amazingly, he was the lawyer for uh, Karl Rove during the plane. Uh, special prosecutor uh, investigation. And during that period, it came out or became relevant or people started talking about that. I think in the late 90s, he had uh, represented this couple who were accused and later convicted of money laundering for like the Cali drug cartel or something like this. And it came out that he was he was being paid in gold bars, (laughs) which kind of, you know, yeah, I guess gold has value, so <laughs> not one to criticize. Yeah, but sure. It, it it does sort of just kind of a rich detail. Well, it does. It, no pun it does sort of lend some credence to the idea they might have been, uh, you know, laundering money for right. drug dealers. So, but whatever. Right. Yeah. No, but that's a good point about Sondland. I mean, his hotel empire is in the Pacific Northwest. Josh, is that right? Yeah, it's it's not the, exactly Trump territory. Yeah, I mean, there's a few places out of there, but it's like Washington State, uh, uh, Oregon. Yeah, around there, and it's like you know high end stuff. Yeah, so, so he's probably thinking post-administration, what's his situation going to be? Well, maybe we can move on just a little bit. Another big development that happened in the last you know, week since we, we last talked was the arrest of two of Rudy Giuliani's associates. So this is Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman. Am I getting those names right? Yeah, that's correct. So they were arrested on campaign finance violations, but there's sort of this separate, but maybe connected, it just hasn't really played out yet, threat of they were involved in helping Rudy kind of dig up allegations against Biden, right? Yeah. And so they were arrested, was it last Wednesday, I want to say, trying to leave? I think it was Thursday. Thursday yeah. had a one-way flight to Vienna and then right. on from there, basically. So Josh, Kay, you've written about these guys. Tell us a bit about them, what our listeners should know about them if they're not really familiar with them as characters yet. Sure. They first surfaced in connection with yeah, Giuliani talking to these Ukrainian prosecutors. They were, uh, I mean, written about as some of the people who, as the people who basically first put Giuliani in touch with Ukraine's then prosecutor general, Yuri Lutsenko. Um, and it wasn't really clear what they were up to, but we know that they traveled to Ukraine in April and May, and they also went to Israel around the same time, which is a separate story. But they um, drew separate scrutiny because what happened was is back in like March or May, back in May 2018, what they did, what one of them, what they did was they like in a very kind of bungling way, um, miss like kind of misstated the origin of like a really big campaign contribution or contribution to a political action committee called America First Action. It's a big pro-Trump committee. Sean Spicer is involved in it. Um, And so what happened with that was Lev Parnas said that one firm that he controlled had contributed $325,000 to it. That firm was called Global Energy Producers. Um, It purported to have natural gas um, interests, but at the same time, it was created like a couple weeks before the contribution was made. Um, it had no evidence of actual business activity, so it was immediately seized upon by like basically anti-corruption watchdogs in D.C. Uh, it was the Campaign Legal Center that filed a complaint with the FEC, um, and that kind of drew scrutiny to it. But the weird twist in the story, and the reason that we know anything about this, is because Lev Parnas is allegedly um, a longtime fraudster. And so what he did was, is back in like 2000, he allegedly scammed this guy out of like $500,000. In 2011, a judgment for $500,000 was entered against him. The scam had to do with like financing a movie called Anatomy of of an Assassin. It never happened, but he just like took this guy's money. Um, And so in order to enforce the judgment, uh, once it came out, you know, separately that this legal entity that belonged to Parnas had made this contribution, attorneys for the guy seeking the judgment, trying to enforce the judgment, uh, filed suit in court in Florida. And so that lawsuit to recover the money. So that lawsuit uh, ended up exposing wire transfers, which showed that, in fact, it was a different firm from Global Energy Producers that made the $325,000 contribution. It was a separate firm connected to Parnas and Fruman. Um, that made the contribution, which suggested that he misstated it. And then all of those facts came out uh, with, I think, some more detail about you know potentially why that contribution happened in the way it did um, in the indictment last week. And so, Kate, you wrote a, about a separate but related element of this, which was there was a couple other associates in the mix who were indicted, one of whom, um, David Correa, was just taken into custody this morning. So he was at, JFK, at yeah. large in the in the days between being indicted and and today. So there was this marijuana business in Nevada, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, where I guess weed is legal recreationally. They were trying to cash in on the boom there. Tell us a little bit more about that side 
element of this whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the thing that can be easy to forget with all this because the malfeasance is so glaring is that a lot of the people at the center of this are just so dumb and bumbling and like comedic mobsters from movie types. And I think this kind of side hustle that was outlined in the indictment really kind of captures that because the pack of the four of them wanted to get a little side cash in. So they had this plan to construct this sprawling, you know, weed empire. Um, They were thinking Nevada and New York initially. They get this Russian national who's unnamed in the indictment to funnel money, which they plan to funnel into candidates for political office who they think if they have that person on their side, uh, they'll be able to change the laws and help them get licensing for their, you know, weed enterprise and everything. So, you know, they have this they have this grand plan. They're having meetings about it. They get the Russian national to funnel them a million dollars for for this use in um, an account held by Fruman. And so, you know, they got all their ducks in a row. And only then do they realize that the deadline in Nevada for getting recreational marijuana licensing for your company was two months ago. (laughs) But uh, not to be dismayed for Just even a, small a moment. Detail, yeah. yeah, but then they decide, well, if we, you know, get these politicians on our side, they can change that deadline. So um, they give two ten thousand dollar payments to a candidate for um, governor and one for attorney general, two Republicans, both of whom lost. Um, and you know, they ended up talking about it, having meetings about it for a little bit longer, but it, it never came to fruition. Right. Here's a question I had about that. I think mm-hmm. I think Josh, you and I may have may, may have discussed this briefly yesterday there's it's clear there's a lot of money moving like if you take Parnas and Fruman as sort of one node Mm -hmm. Giuliani a few different players in Ukraine or Russia there's a lot of money moving around and it's clear that that you know we found out uh I guess yesterday or the day before that uh Parnas uh Parnas's company which not really clear even what that company is, or even if it was still in legal existence at the time, paid Rudy in like just a lump sum, half a million dollars for like, you know, technology consulting or something like that. So kind of like those guys are paying him and like, why? Because they seem to be working for Rudy. So that's kind of weird. And where did that money come from? But the thing that jumped out at me about this weed thing is, so the unnamed Russian guy cuts them two checks for a total of a million dollars. But at least what's stated in the indictment is maybe 20 or 30 grand yeah. out of that million dollars. Mm-hmm. So what happened to the rest of the million dollars? Now, now Josh was saying, and this is, this is quite plausible given who we're talking about, that they just scammed this guy and they just kept his money. And like, maybe, but like... Where's the money? I mean, didn't... I mean, BuzzFeed had a story last week too about the Parnas and Fruman's lavish lifestyle right super fancy hotels like expensive flights i mean yeah no i mean look they scammed the guy on the movie the clearly scam everybody (laughs) so it's totally plausible that they just kept his money but a lot of times with people like this you you scam someone but it's because you need some money for some other stuff so it's it's a fair even for guys like this it's a fairly substantial amount of money Mm -hmm. right a million dollars in cash so and now it's it's also possible that, that that the indictment doesn't have to list everything that was spent on right. There, all that's what was relevant there was that this was from a foreign national, and the fact that it was it was put into uh, uh, campaign contributions that's a, that's a felony right right there. Um, but it, 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 still, where's that money? And there's so much sloshing around that I think that's going to end up being something of note. It's a a really valid question. And there's also, there is a little detail in the indictment where they ask the Russian national for more money after they get the one million and are basically, you know, the guy's like, absolutely not. (laughs) I already contributed. (laughs) Right. You know, and then you're right. They funnel two $10,000 payments to these, you know, losing candidates in Nevada. and Pretty small Small change compared to well. The other thing, you know, there was a Reuters article uh, yesterday where they were the ones who, like, it was, it was. I think it was known for a couple weeks that Parnas had had paid Rudy's company for some consulting, but they were able to get the exact, you know, the actual number that was half million dollars. And they, it was clear in how they wrote that article. They pointed out that Rudy gets paid that money right about the time that that the other dude 
uh, sends a million dollars to Parnas and, and Fruman for the other stuff. So it was, it was a little, like often um, a news organization like Reuters isn't just going to say like, hey, there's two amounts of money. Maybe something's, something's going on. It's not really how it works. I suspect they know, I'm sure they can't prove it or else they would have proved it. But I think they're kind of thinking they must have some some suggestion in the mix that that's where that money came from that or that sense. they're related yeah. in, in, in some way. And so just to bring this full circle, Giuliani's kind of association with these two guys is now the subject of a criminal investigation too, right? In the Southern District of New York, which is the office that brought the charges in the first right. place. So, I mean, I'm curious if anyone thinks, is Rudy actually in danger here? Will Barr or Trump, you know... Can I ask Josh a question? Because this, this is um, something I wanted to know more about. What one of the subsequent reports about that, um, you know, what seems to be a real investigation of Giuliani, not just kind of like he's in the mix and they kind of glanced at him or something like that, that they're very focused on this contract he had with, I never know how to pronounce this, this city's name, Kharkiv? Yeah, Kharkiv, yeah. Okay. Uh, with like the city government, you know, just, you know, Technology, emergency right. services, Security whatever, yeah. and that and that uh, the contract was paid by this uh, Fuchs guy. What's his first name? Pavel. Pavel. Okay. So, and, and it's funny. The funny thing is, is that uh, <laughs> in most of the reporting, it's treated as a given that that's not that strange. That like, if you come in and you get like a. Uh, if you get a municipal services contract with the city of New York, you don't find out that like, uh, I don't know, uh, who's a, who's, I mean, I was going to say who's, who's a, who's a plutocrat in New York now, right. the president. Right. Um, but you know, you don't find out that like, like you know, the Lloyd, owner Lloyd, of the Knicks paid it yeah, or like something. Lloyd like Fine was like covering. Yeah. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. That's weird. But, but that seems to be their yeah. interest. Do you, with, with, Give us some context. What are we, why would they, why would that be of interest? Um, well, so I mean, like the original reason why people were interested in that specific contract was because the guy, Pavel Fuchs, in the mid 2000s, um, was in talks with Trump to develop his Trump Tower Moscow. That was back in like 2004, 2005, 2006. And so if listeners remember when Ivanka Trump, like with Felix Sater, went to Moscow and like spun around in like Putin's chair very famously. Oh, that right, was like right, part right. of that was part of those negotiations. That was Pavel Fuchs. Wait, is that is that the one where there's the picture of all of them? Yeah. Like, with, and then like, like after, someone's wearing a fur coat or something? After like a night out there in some like parking lot and like they all just look like trashed. Yeah. It's, it's, right, it's right. Great. Okay. Yeah. Is he in that picture? I don't think Fuchs? he's okay. he's not, yeah. Okay. But he okay. supposedly met with them at some point on that trip. Okay. Um or some other, another trip. Around that time. Um so that was originally why it was kind of interesting that Giuliani was like involved with this guy, also just the general sliminess. Um, you know, the other context I would add is just that he, so Pablo Fuchs wound up back in Ukraine after the country's like really split up following the 2014 revolution. Um, and, you know, Kharkiv is his hometown. And they have a mayor, this guy, Gennady Kernes, who uh, is sort of a character. Like he was rich. <laughs> that, doesn't set, that doesn't set him apart in this story. <laughs> no, no. But like even for this, like he, right. I mean, he, he's just this sort of like, I mean, he, you know, he's mobbed up, but he's just this very kind of like uh, crafty guy who uh, was like originally pro-Russian. So it was a big question when the revolution started, uh, ended, and when you know the re- different regions of Ukraine started to break off in February and March 2014. What you know his what he would do. And originally he was leaning towards, I mean, going to Russia or like breaking off, Mm -hmm. but uh, he was convinced not to. And like a month later he was, I mean, he was kind of known for being this presence in the city. He was going for a jog and like a sniper shot him in the back. So he's been, uh, Oh wait, was this the guy who, who like he went to recuperate in Israel? Yeah. Oh, so he's been paralyzed for for, like the the waist down for since then. Yeah. Oh, I, you know, I don't know why, but for some reason, like a couple years ago, I went down this rabbit hole, and okay, I can't remember yeah. why. I didn't know he was paralyzed. I remember he was shot, and then he went to Israel. I mean, I think he's he's Jewish, right? Yeah, he okay. is. Yeah. Um, okay, so he's paralyzed. Yeah, he's paralyzed. Right. He's a big fan of New York City. Like, he, if people can follow him on Instagram and see. Yeah, him, and he like, has a big Instagram. Account. Right, he's always I'm constantly. To remember what I was. Yeah. What you know, even for me, that's pretty obscure, right? But <laughs> right. There, was some, there was some reason that made it very relevant to me at the time. But he's constantly wearing these like NYPD or like Yankees hats or whatever. So I mean, he's like a big New York guy. But uh, you know, it's interesting that he like hired Giuliani to do security consulting. Like supposedly it was to set up. The stated reason was it was to set up like some kind of like nine one one system in Kharkov in Kharkiv. 
Um, and like, you know, I don't know what Julia. I'm sure you need Rudy. I well, remember Rudy, that up. Rudy was like the cybersecurity guy. Remember the TV um, ads yeah, and all that he, kind he of stuff? He was a cybersecurity czar and he, for the White House, he's the cybersecurity yeah. czar. So which is, people shouldn't forget that. But so, you know, I mean, that kind of wasn't revealed until one random day in November 2017. Like just, uh, there was a Ukrainian story, press story showing Giuliani, like just appearing at the airport in Harkov. Kharkiv. Um, I keep getting the Russian and Ukrainian translations confused. So Kharkov is the Russian, Russian and Kharkiv right, okay. is Ukrainian. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And so and at first it wasn't clear like why he was there, but over time it emerged that, yeah, it was a contract paid for by this guy, Pavel Fuchs, who's a local oligarch. Isn't, and, isn't Kharkiv kind of on the sort of edge yeah. of the area that's kind of under either menaced by Russia or under sort of de facto Russian control? Yeah. Where is it in that mix? It's one of the closest big cities to the, um, yeah, to the, to the, to the regions that have broke up, broken off. And it's, I mean, it's a Russian language city. Um, but it's you, not itself. It's one that the government, the central government controls. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's under control. But if you go back to 2014, I mean, it was a huge cent- It's, I mean, it's really close to the, to the border with Russia. I mean, it's closer to the border with Russia than it is to the border with the regions that have now kind of cleaved off. Um, and back then, I mean, what the Russians were doing was they were just like bussing in loads of like paid protesters across the border who would then like stage these like anti-Ukrainian demonstrations in the center of the city. Um, and so there's, I mean, there's all this like footage and reports, you know, go, your listeners can go back and read about it. Um, but I mean, so I'm not sure how relevant that specific context is other than it's just weird that Giuliani kind of shows up three years later. Right. Uh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I guess I, I, I'm, I'm curious because that it, it does Certainly, there's a lot of other stuff that we have found out in the last few weeks that seems like more obvious places that that prosecutors would be interested in. Yeah, and and the I think it was an article in the journal that that focused in on that on that issue. Like there must be something. There must be something just that that it's, I you know they're not going to if you get a kind of a sweetheart deal where, you know, you get a lot of money to do consulting because you're kind of, you know, Joe 9-11 and stuff. That's not, a, I mean, that may be sleazy, but it's not like a crime in itself. Certainly, So there's got to be something a little more, a little more yeah. um, direct there. It's been, well, in, I mean, go ahead. so I mean, there, there's been some discussion of whether or not he could be under investigation for like Farah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not clear if Ukraine stuff would fall under that. Uh, there was a report last night that he was he supposedly lobbied Trump to have uh, Fethullah Gulen, right, right. the Turkish preacher, who's been exiled in the U.S. forever. Uh, where, where, where is where is? Because I mean, that was the big thing with with Flynn, with Flynn that they that that he and uh, Jim Woolsey and a few other people got together, like in late you know in late uh, mid late 2016 before the election. And had this idea they were going to kidnap him, right? Uh, and it was it was totally unclear, like before you're president or after. I mean, because like before you're president, that's like a major international crime, and like after you're president, why not deport him? So it's like very. I mean, right. so and we kind of know that Rudy's sort of been in the mix with Flynn, so that's like. Yeah. There's a lot of weird stuff there. I would also just submit that, I mean, you're talking about the $500,000 from fraud guarantee. I mean, there are all these complicated financial transactions going on around him, and we just don't know what, I mean, what that could be, right? I mean, that's like, if I were, I mean, that sort of seems like low-hanging fruit just from the outside. Totally, totally. Well, and also kind of like, there's a lot of things like, um, if you are, if you're operating internationally, if you have some nexus to political campaigns, you can you can get indicted for a lot of stuff really quickly if if prosecutors decide they want to indict you because you can't just um, certainly when it, the campaign finance regulatory thing is there um, foreign lobbying is there again almost in, unless it's something is totally by the books you can get indicted for it um, and I think it's sort of a it I guess it, it'll probably depend on what you know, what their appetite is right. to sort of go after the president's lawyer. And I mean, this raises the big question that like I, people don't, I mean, for some reason it's not really discussed, which is like who pay, is paying for all this, like these flights to Spain. And I mean, Giuliani said, I think last week that uh, the trip to Spain in August where when he met with this advisor to President Zelensky, um, that, that was paid for like a separate client of his. We don't know who the client was. Well, hasn't it, hasn't it come out in the last few few days that I think even Rudy has said that a lot of this stuff is, uh, was that, that, uh, Parnas and, and Fruman were paying for and that they seem to have had like a tab with that Furtash guy. So 
I mean, yeah, Parnas was hired as an interpreter for uh, Fear Attach's legal team, um, and that's I mean a whole other kind of can of worms. But yeah. Oh, I thought I thought there was also a report that beyond that, because that's the Degenova tensing right, tensing right, thing, yeah. that he and Fruman had like a pre-existing, like some kind of arrangement. Yeah, yeah. like being on like retainer for him or something like that. I, I you know. Yeah. I don't know. Well, maybe we can just end on this, but it's been interesting to, I don't know, follow Trump's reactions and comments about Giuliani. Kate, maybe you can help me kind of give your sense of this. But on Friday, Trump was asked, you know, is Rudy still representing you? And he's like, well, gosh, I don't know. You know, he has been, but um, yeah, we'll see kind of thing. And then over the weekend, it seemed like Trump kind of came back around to Rudy. Is that right? Well, I mean, he's been kind of boosting him, saying that he's doing a great job, blah, blah, blah. But then there's been a little bit of distancing in that, you know, oh, that's Rudy's business. I don't know the ins and outs. I just know that he's loyal man, good lawyer kind right. of you thing. Have something, or, or, uh, something we had from, from, from the morning that, yeah. that he basically said, I love Rudy. Interesting Ukraine stuff he was involved with, <laughs> mm-hmm. not really familiar with it. Right. So yeah. kind of both, bear, like I think the headline was like, you know, both kind of bear hugging him yeah. personally, but sort of laying the groundwork for like, yeah, he, you know, well, it, he don't know what he was involved with mm-hmm. with Ukraine. Just like Trump's response to questions about Michael Cohen and the hush money payments back then, he would always say, talk to Michael. He's my lawyer. You'll have to ask him. And he, and Trump is kind of taking a similar tack now saying, you'll have to talk to Rudy, ask Rudy about what he's been up to. Oh, and it's all this it's kind of totally stuff. karmic. Yeah. It's exact same Michael Cohen. Arc. But Kate, wasn't there, he, he had lunch with Rudy over the weekend, right? What didn't he? Yeah, Trump? I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in Virginia or something at the golf course, I want to say he, he did. Yeah. And he had lunch with him. So that was like, and that's pretty telling on both fronts because it kind of loops them. I mean, it kind of chains them together um, that they're talking and stuff like that. So, yeah. All right. Well, Josh K, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Before we move on, let's hear a brief word from our sponsor. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. All right, before we wrap up, I wanted to touch on the debate last night. We were all up late covering that. Um, Kate, you had a, a, a bunch of different takeaways, one of which seemed that Elizabeth Warren is pretty clearly in the front, you know, maybe one top one or two candidates taking a lot of fire from all sides. What was your kind of sense of her performance and how the other candidates were were responding to her kind of elevated status? Absolutely. She was the main recipient of the critical comments that were, you know, set on stage, I think, to the benefit of Joe Biden, who basically sailed by not completely, but largely, you know, unscrutinized. Um, so she got some... And then, like, fairly coherent. Yeah. Like, right? Didn't yeah. have any, like, you know... For the most Biden. part. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I just... I always think Biden is so tricky because debating is not his strong suit. So even a strong night for him is not necessarily what you would say, what a glowing exemplar of a skilled debater. He's too long-winded to be mm-hmm. sound bitey, you know, but... Yeah, totally, totally. There were yeah. a few moments, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but where it did seem like Biden was kind of reaching for the next word. I mean, it, it wasn't like he totally just fell on his face, but it felt like there were a couple moments where... He was trying to get it out. It just Which didn't was quite. The most shocking thing to me when he was, you know, got delivered the question, you know, he was going to get about was it appropriate for Hunter Biden to sit on the Ukrainian board? Um, and he got there eventually. I thought he ended his answer quite strongly, being like, you know, looping back to the this is malarkey and Trump is only going after me because of my strength as a candidate and how much he fears me, which is like a a winning point, I think. But, you know, he kind of he meandered on his way there. And it's like, this has got to be the question you've been practicing day in, day out, you know? Well, that, you know, it it seemed to me that his other answers over the course of the evening, I thought were fine, just, you know, pretty, just very straightforward and non whatever, but not one of these things where he's like, law, you know, at least perceived by some people as right. lost in the middle. I thought the thing with uh, with with the Hunter Biden thing was 
you could sort sort of tell it's a really uncomfortable mm-hmm. topic for him, and that that because there was one point, a friend of mine who was watching, pointed out that it, his literal words were, you know, he uh, Hunter made that judgment, i.e. To go work for them, and I'm so proud. And everybody's like, "Dude, wait, wait, wait! It may not be criminal, but don't be proud. Like, what right. are you talking about?" Right. I think what he meant was he was sort of proud that he had come forward and done this interview and kind mm-hmm. of explained right. himself. Like, all right, right, proud of my son for standing up or whatever. But yeah, you could sort of uh, my perception at least was that you could tell it's just a hard issue for him, and he he. Even just having Hunter come out with that ABC interview makes it seems like an acknowledgement by the campaign. Like this is a problem for him, kind of, and he needs to kind of save face a bit and I don't know, just get out in front of it a bit. Well, the, and the the tricky thing there, I think, which that was also my kind of in the moment reaction to how he answered was that he clearly doesn't want to talk about this, which has the unfortunate side effect of making him look guilty when he's not but the I think that why it's not a winning issue for him at all is because it's not illegal it's was it a questionable decision you know absolutely was it and you know even Hunter's interview when he I thought was quite candid about the benefits he's been handed due to his last name which is like hilarious <laughs> that he's even addressing this while the Trump children are carousing right. around making right. money off their brand but you know it's this thing where it's Democrats hold themselves constantly to this higher moral standard than Republicans do and then come off looking like they've committed the same wrongdoing than Republicans have, which so I understand almost why he's struggling so much to thread this needle because Democrats love falling on their own swords yeah, about things. Right. No, I think you're I think you're exactly right. And, and I, I I think another part of an, another context that that people are not quite getting is that, you know, Hunter is kind of his ne'er-do-well son. He's kicked out of the military for for uh, cocaine. Yeah. He's had substance abuse issues. He, a lot of, and, and his other son, Bo Biden, was, you know, a kind of a coming political figure in, in uh, Delaware. He was attorney general. He was going to run for governor before he got sick. So that was sort of his star son. Right, and his star son died of cancer, like out of the blue, at an incredibly young age, like yeah. forty-five, just a few years ago. So I think for Biden, he he lost one, you know, one of his two. I don't know if they're twins or they're very close in age. If they weren't twins, um, lost one son who was sort of like the star son. He's got this other son who's a bit of a fuck up, and now he's like that son who he probably has some. You know, I'm sure he loves him greatly, but it's clearly been rocky at some level. Um, is being become like a, a public punching bag for uh, for Trump, and there's clearly that's all that context I think plays into this, where Biden, the dad, has very little patience for how his son has been treated. He also knows that his son has kind of been, you know has traded on his name. And, and as you say, Kate, it's one of the, it's, it's, it's sort of how these things, the ironies and weirdnesses of how these stories play out and particularly how they play out in the press that they are being accused of all these totally insane things. Um, you know, shakedowns and all this kind of crazy stuff. And people have been pretty clear, like, there, these are totally made up hoaxes, conspiracy theories. But down at the bottom, you do have this thing that clearly Joe Biden's son made a lot of money in significant part because he, his last name is Biden and people want to kind of uh, cozy up to, to relatives of political figures. And so you can't quite like grab the bat and just kind of hit this right. one out of the park because it is a little awkward down there. And and I think that that awkwardness was playing in that answer but as you say kind of like are we really fucking talking about this right when like you're like calling up the saudis and come like why don't you <laughs> right. drop five million on my hotel right and Which, like ivanka's doing with yeah. her with her you know uh uh clothing line yeah and cl- copyright, you know, you know, copyrights or yeah. patents in china i mean i think you're absolutely right about the dynamics at play and family is complicated for everyone no matter what <laughs> level you're at but i think you know from more of the 
PR optics standpoint, it's just like that question of in, involved the Trumps, you know, like talk about that. But it just it seemed to me that I can't believe we're at this point and he's still stuttering his way to an answer on that question. You know, kind of the same way as I think we discussed last pod, like he only recently came around to being all for the impeachment inquiry and everything. And you're just like, he's got to have the biggest comps people in the business, right? So why does this every single thing seem to be such a hurdle for him? Yeah, no, it's a good question. I I mean, mean, Go ahead. Go ahead. You go ahead. Just on a, I was going to shift gears a little bit, just on a logistical level. We cannot be having three-hour debates anymore with 12 people on oh stage. God. I yeah. mean, it's just, there was one, I think the point that I fully lost my mind was about <laughs> two and a half hours in where they asked this question, one of those manufactured, pre-made questions to stir up a fight on stage, which I absolutely hate to begin with, but that was basically asking Biden, do you think that... Sanders and Warren are people think that they can beat Trump or that they're electable against Trump, something in that vein, which is like there is no possible productive answer that can be gotten out of this. This is a purely made for TV question. So we asked that question. Of course, Biden, who was also competing to be the candidate, is not going to be like, oh, absolutely vote for (laughs) them. So it's, you know, it's stupid. It creates the it's not a fight about their policy differences. It's a fight about that. They are both vying for the same job. And then it comes back around to nitpicking each other's health care plans, which is a ridiculous thing to discuss when you have one minute to describe a very complex health care plan. I thought another really kind of cheap and stupid question was that whole thing of like, are you really going to go door to door? Like, are people just going to give their like, dude, what are you talking about? Like, we don't we don't discuss this with anything else. I mean, policing is complicated, sort of like if someone doesn't register their car, are you going to go to their door and take their car? Like, like that was just like and 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 um, I mean, I don't have any brief for Beto O'Rourke. But clearly, the point here is to say, yes, we're not going to let you have that kind of gun. It's just oh. we're going to make it illegal. We're not even going to say you can't buy anymore. Like, you got to give them back. And and this thing about the logistics, and, 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 and I think it was Anderson Cooper brought it back to like, have you really thought this through? Oh, like multiple times with multiple follow-ups. And then Buttigieg, who, you know, a lot of people thought he did well. I thought that he came into this with, you know, stamped on his forehead, my consultant told me to go after Beto O'Rourke because I thought the things that he went after him for were absolutely cringeworthy and kind of like, And he did what? He did, what, he did Warren too. Yeah, right? you know, he absolutely did. But what you, it just made me think of what you said in particular when he was going after him for that gun thing and saying like, how dare you question my personal courage, exactly, which... Yeah. He never said anything of the like, you know. Yeah, I I don't know, but I don't know what you thought. I, you know, I when when uh, when Buttigieg ran for DNC chair like almost three years ago, oh, you interviewed him. I right? interviewed him. I've always been a big fan of his, not necessarily as the candidate for president, but I really like the you know like the things he says, blah 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 blah. And last night, I was like, man, you sound like a dick. Like he just sounded like he had this even had this kind of high nasal tone to his voice that. It, it sounded to like he had this sound in his voice where someone were like, blah, 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 You're like, you know, kind of, well, I'm going to tell you how it how it really is. And this kind of hectoring, dweebish Right, wasn't sort it sort of, of like, well, I'll, I'll give my view from the Midwest kind of thing. Was like, oh, yeah. my God. Yeah, my perspective from growing up on the dusty floor <laughs> of an abandoned factory in the industrial Midwest. But like what absolutely killed me, too, is. It, his the thing that he went after O'Rourke for and then he went after Warren for were both explained to me the uh, practical minutiae logistics of this plan. It's like, are you kidding? You can get absolutely any anyone with that because they're going to, first of all, even if they have these details committed to memory, it's going to be like, what? Okay, I've got 30 seconds to right. explain and to you And then they'll be like, plan. okay, thank you, thank you. Exactly, and he's yeah. like, exactly, you don't have a plan. It's like, come on. Well, well and also, it's one thing if someone like Biden who's been in the Senate and been in the White House, you know, been in the uh, Senate for like 40 years, uh, White House for 10 or what, you know, whatever the mix is, eight, obviously. (laughs) Um, For him to say like, you know, federal government, big complicated thing, gotta sweat the details. You know, that may be like, you may like that kind of argument or not, but like he's been at the most complex level for years and decades and decades. And with Buttigieg, you're like, dude, 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 you know, what a like 100,000 person, town like right. really like come on 
Like don't don't like oh I I manage this manage you know it just it it's it was just it was just silly kind yeah. of like you know you, you're a mayor and that's great I probably couldn't be mayor I couldn't you know run something that big but don't be like kind of like trolling people <laughs> like that. he just sounded and, lame and I kind of thought by that same token is like he was clearly told to up his passion or his feistiness it rubbed me the wrong way whereas I think Amy Klobuchar upped her energy in a way that I found much less off-putting Without with the grading. caveat is I wish she would stop calling Elizabeth Warren by her first name I found that to be very strange because she didn't call anyone else that oh, really? everyone else was using titles huh. I'm sure it was some kind of strategy to show we're both senators exactly. you know because we do, know each other you do hear that sort of in press conferences and this and that people calling each other by their first name and yeah. yeah, when their colleagues is sort of like, yeah, we're on the same level kind of thing. Well, right. I, you know, I, it's funny that, that with with Biden, his people, you know, talk about it, the comms team, his people have clearly given him all these little rules, right, not to do. And watching him in a debate, he's constantly catching himself. Mm-hmm. So at one point he said, now Bernie's, oh, Ah, Senator Sanders, right. I mean. And even that kind of like, all right, first of all, everybody calls him Bernie. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of like, dude, just just go with it. Right? I know. <laughs> it's definitely, it was a small thing. I just found it to be strange because also she was one of uh, Warren's biggest antagonists as well during the night. Um, yeah. Well, de- everyone got their shot in. Definitely but. that kind of like, you know, moderate, Midwest, blah, blah, blah. You yeah. know, uh, that sort of, she's the liberal with crazy plans. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep it real. Yeah. I'm. I won Michelle Bachman's district. This yeah, and yeah. Right, so that, right, but right. I, I agree with you. I mean, she kind, but she did it without. Like, I didn't become a supporter of hers, but I didn't feel anything negative. Kind mm-hmm. of like, all right, everybody's got to kind of make their argument and whatever. Right. But with Buttigieg, I really, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know precisely which thing, but I came out of it thinking like, ah, you, you like just sounded like a jerk. Yeah, I think it's because his fights didn't seemed very substanceless mm-hmm. when I was watching. It seemed very much like he went into this intending to launch attacks on XYZ people right. and he did based on these kind of dumb reasons. At least Klobuchar's thing is a little bit like she truly does is coming from a different perspective than somebody like mm-hmm. Warren. So I, mean, I don't know. I think that's why it was less grating to me. I, I it's also Klobuchar. It's basically her last chance to make something happen of her campaign, right? She hasn't qualified for the November debate. Right. So, and, and she'll probably have a hard, what a it's, pretty hard time. She, it's probably close to the end of the road. Right. For her she, campaign. O'Rourke, Gabbard, and one other have not qualified for Booker November yet. Booker must not have. No, Booker has. Yeah, he has? He has. Don't you have to have 5% for in a poll? To have or, or 2% in four early yeah, state a voting polls. Yeah, there's a couple different polls. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. I guess that, you know, the thing with, with Buttigieg is that he, he consistently seemed to come at people from a, here's the knowledgeable take. Yeah. Here's the experience take. Right. You know, you're off yada, 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 but here's the, you know, here's the grown-up take. And sort of like... A, that's a little. You you need to be very deft to to make that argument without seeming like a jerk. But also, when you're talking to people who've been in the Senate, who've been around for a long time, and sort of like, you know, not to not to with you with you, august young people, <laughs> but like, dude, you're pretty new, and you've only been mayor of a kind of a medium to small sized town. So kind of like, right? That's, don't tell us like how I mean, it is. Also, and why stuff. it's an odd tactic because youth is capital thing yeah Yeah. Yeah. do you mean you can trade on that and you can absolutely do the separate yourself from the dysfunction of washington thing the Mm -hmm. i'm young i'm not jaded i'm not set in my ways blah 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 so going from the holier than thou let me speak down to you from all my 35 years of experience on this earth is kind of like right right yeah totally totally well maybe we can just end real quick on the last question of the debate which was Ellen DeGeneres took in a football game with George W. Bush, and she says we should just be friends with people who are different than us. I mean, I don't know. Just give me your take on that (laughs) question. First of all, the question, the premise is disingenuous because people were not mad to get into the weeds of the Ellen debate. Like people were not mad at Ellen for going to a baseball game with someone who disagrees with her. They were mad because that's what she painted it as, and people made the argument 
that George Bush is more than someone you disagree with. He's someone who espoused policies that caused harm, Mm -hmm. you know, whether that be a war that many people feel was pointless and people paid in their lives or, you know, his anti-LGBTQ stance, which is especially resonant for Ellen, of course. Um, So to begin with, the question that is not even... I didn't even... I I was... I don't know what I was doing. I Mm -hmm. kind of missed... I I saw that it was debate. I didn't get all the internals of it. So I guess this is the point that that she did it and then kind of lectured everybody like, oh, civility here. This is how it's done. I can be friends with people who are different. Exactly. And that was... kind of what I just said was the bulk of the response was being like, you're not even listening to what your critics are saying. They're not mad that you're friends with a Republican. They're mad, you know, for these reasons. But, you know, CNN and I guess the New York Times took her premise to turn it into a question to be, oh my God, to ask these adults, these esteemed adults who have worked in the world of politics, who are vying to govern our entire country, you know, who's one of your BFFs that you disagree with? (laughs) Which is just... I mean, could you think any lower of your audience to begin with, you know, but, and in some ways, I don't know, I was, you know, I reacted so viscerally in the moment that I was trying to be like, all right, Kate, there's, you know, people don't like fighting contention all the time. They want to end on a feel good note. Fine. I Mm -hmm. get that, you know, but it just, the question was just, you know, and of course the predictable response was immediately no questions on climate change, no questions on affordable housing, which is like extremely fair. You know, you only have so much time. And this is a question that you're going to pose to every single candidate. And it's going to be who's a, who's an unlikely buddy of yours, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, it does, it, it does seem that even, even with all that, which I agree with, certainly some people managed to answer it much more stupidly than others. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it, there was definitely a, yeah. a, a, a rant. Who said Trey Gowdy? Was it, was it? Uh, I didn't hear Trey Gowdy. Oh, yeah. well, I heard Rand Paul. It, it was, Rand uh, Paul. Kamala Harris said Rand Paul. I mean, they had, it, sort of had a I criminal think, justice. I think it was Tulsi Gabbard. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, which, that makes sense. I mean, yeah. absolutely. Someone said Trey Gowdy, and I, I. So I know that. I think it was. Okay. It was Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, she would be I the saw, one to. I saw all these tweets it. when it was Tulsi's turn that were like Bashar al-Assad. <laughs> That's what she's gonna say. <laughs> right. But yeah, um, she, she was. She was. Uh, I. I don't know what. Like she really. I wouldn't say she scares me, but there's something very like I find something very malevolent feeling about her. I think she is just, she's just kind of odd to me in that I can never, her tactics aren't always super clear to me. She tends to go on the offensive during the debates that she qualifies for, but it's never the same person, doesn't seem to have a lot of consistency. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, I can't super pinpoint her politics really and her you know kind of her I think her biggest hangups for you know Democrats her weird affinity for al-Assad and then her very you know kind of dirty past and this um, homophobia stuff the conversion therapy stuff it's just it's I don't know I find her to be a very unclear figure to me I can't fully Figure Especially her out. as someone from Hawaii too, right? Exactly. It's, kind of a, it's sort of a discordant. It's, mix. it's well, it's weird too, and e- even that, like, what she had that thing where she's talking about, you know, ending this regime change mm-hmm. war in Syria, right. and even that. I mean, whatever you want to say about about the Syrian civil war, our role in it, blah 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 blah. The U.S. and this is the this is the criticism many people have. The U.S. role in that conflict has been quite marginal. We didn't start it. We're not ending it. We're we haven't been that in, that involved. So and, and making it a you know a U.S. regime change war is literally the Russian line on that thing. And it's just it's just obviously not true. That doesn't mean that we've we've handled it well or that we didn't contribute to it by destabilizing Iraq and the growth of ISIS and blah, 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 blah. But basically, we have stood away from it and not not wanted to get, you know, not wanted to get involved. Um, and again, a lot of people think that is a disgrace. But it's just, I don't know, she, she I, I just find, um, I don't know what her deal is. Well, I mean, there was also one point last night where she 
criticized Hillary kind of oh, out yeah. of the blue for no reason. I just think half of what she says, I'm kind of like. And wait, what? 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 What, what, what was the? I, I remember, but I, I, I'm having a hard time. Remembering it was something. The, oh, it was. Um, she said, I disagree with her about almost everything, but I agree with her on... Oh, yeah, a safe, rare, and legal or that's whatever. abortion. Right, 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 right. right. right, right. Yep, that's and even right. that was like, actually, that's Bill's line. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of stuff like that with her that kind of like, you're you're trolling. Who's your people. audience? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Sort of like, like, I, like, okay, you know, Republicans troll Democrats, but sort of like, you're, there's a weird gaslighting thing right. to her. Kind of like, you're here running as a Democrat, but you're saying these things that aren't just things that Democrat. I mean, obviously anybody who does not have a, a, you know, clear and strong position on abortion rights is going to have rough going in a Democratic primary. But that part is trolling. Ah, remember Hillary? Mm-hmm. You're big like, you know, I'm still with her BFF. Remember what she said 20 years ago? <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Even though she didn't say it. It's yeah. just like, it's, Same thing it's with like, like how she wasn't on board with impeachment right away. It just, it seems to me that she's doing this weird signaling to somebody. And I think that feeling of mine is only kind of ingrained further by this weird thing that how after all of the debates, like, people rush the drudge polls and all these weird online mm-hmm. things to vote that Tulsi did the best right. in the well, debate. But, but isn't that kind of what gaslighting is that that you it, you do it because the target of it is supposed to kind of think like I think you're fucking with me. <laughs> but like, can't, I'm not even totally sure you're fucking with me. And like I can't I'm not sure why you're fucking with or which direction you're yeah. fucking with me from yeah. that you 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 inspire like confusion. Yeah, it's disorienting. Yeah, and that's kind of what I get from her. Yeah. The kind of like you're clearly fucking with us, but I don't even know what your game is. Right. I mean, don't you think I mean maybe it's sort of she's trying to carve out this like maverick persona, right? And that could lead to like a good book deal or something where like she kind of just positions herself as some kind of unique oddity or something and that becomes some mar- market marketable persona or something. I mean, something. I saw also speculation at some point that she was preparing the way for a third party bid or some kind. She addressed that and said that she. I think wasn't she ruled it out. It. But yeah. yeah, no, she's like an obvious like Jill Stein. Yeah. Sort totally. Of, sort of spoiler. Yeah. Right. All right. All right. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> All right. All right. So, uh, oh yeah, 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 Grady's, Grady's, Grady's. Uh, remember, uh, Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee is the sponsor of the Josh Marshall Podcast. If you are ready to give this world, get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. And remember, if you are not a member of TPM, please join. Uh, subscribe to Prime or Prime Ad Free and uh, be part of this community and and one of our 30 plus thousand subscribers who make TPM possible. So if you're a TPM reader, please do it. And even if you're just listening to the podcast, uh, TPM is what makes this podcast possible. So please take a moment and join. Yeah, it helps us out. All right. All right. Thank you both. Later. Bye.